This is the audio diary of the 31st day of the 12th month of the year 2020. That means today is the very last day of this eventful year 2020 and also the last day of this decade, which is also incredibly eventful. I learned a lot, changed a lot, developed a lot as a person. And if the past decade hadn't gone the way it had, I would be a very different person by now. It's, it's crazy to think about how much I've changed in the course of a decade. <laughs> um, I immigrated back to Canada in 2008, so it's a bit more than a decade, but 2010 to 2020, wow, or, or I guess specifically I should say 2011 to 2020, so many things happened in my life and I became truly a completely different person. So I thought it was probably most apt to take uh, this podcast episode to uh, reflect back on all the things that happened, especially 2020 was such a, in many ways, such a dreadful year personally and for the world as well. I faced a lot of failures. I learned a lot, um, but there were many hardships. There were many things that I personally regret. And so in terms of for this podcast episode, I thought the best thing would be to spend it uh, reflecting on the past year. It just seems apt since it is the last day of the year. But I thought that I could focus on the positive things and the learnings rather than the kind of dismal topics <laughs> I could share about. So because it can be pretty depressing to think about 2020 and I can feel my kind of emotional resistance to thinking about those things right now, even as I'm speaking about it. So I want to focus on the positive because there's been plenty of news coverage. Uh, there's been plenty of content talking about how terrible 2020 is. The words unprecedented times will forever go down as the cliched phrase of 2020. Um, I am kind of ready to <laughs> let that, you know, really depressing narrative um, go. And I want to talk about the uh, growth that was possible in this year. So also, FYI, I have not thought through what I'm going to talk about in terms of what, what each of the points will be. So this will be definitely on the fly. So I think the first thing that I learned a lot about in 2020 is Canada and specifically Vancouver. So returning back here, I learned so much about the city in a very, very deep level that I didn't before. Uh, it was very helpful to get the experience of living abroad and then returning back home with to a place that was familiar but with a fresh set of eyes. I had, you know, left the continent. <laughs> I lived in the UK and I had traveled all over Europe before I settled down in the UK and I had gone to do at least two or three different, okay, two Asian countries um, during my time that I was in the UK on two separate trips, Myanmar, Indonesia. And so I have been exposed to very different ways of living, very different places, very different cityscape and also landscapes and natural um, scenery as well. And then coming back to place the place that was familiar to me, but again, with a new set of eyes. It made me really realize uh, what is truly Canadian. What does it mean to be Canadian? Because when I lived in Canada, and that was pre pretty much what I knew, I 
thought that a lot of these things were just human <laughs> rather than being Canadian. So I couldn't really tell apart between what is just a thing that everybody does versus specifically Canadians are like. And having a, um, not just a superficial kind of visit to a different country, but a deep, you know, engagement with a different culture or different worldview, different traditions, ways of being. Um, by living for an extended period of time in a different country, in a different continent, and then coming back, I could really tell, oh, right, these were the things that were actually special about being Canadian. And I also spent quite a lot of time just researching. Um, and you know why I do this. Like, I just go on Google Maps and I scroll through and kind of daydream about all the places I could go. Um, I, when I lived in Canada, I usually did that for foreign uh, international destinations because, you know, I, you know, I have a passion for traveling the world. I really am interested in other cultures. So that really does get me going and does get me excited. So whenever I had the chance, I wanted to get out of the country. Now, COVID forced me into a situation I had where I had to really only think about domestic travel. And I also didn't have that much chance to travel far, period. So um, it made me turn my focus locally and domestically. So I did a lot of research um, and just watched a lot of YouTube content, uh, scrolled around on Google Maps, the, the things that I do to procrastinate and just kind of rest. I spent a lot of time on Canadian landscapes, Canadian places, um, and I learned a lot about provinces outside of British Columbia. I think I might have mentioned this to you previously, but the furthest east I have ever gone is Calgary. So for those of you who know Canadian geography, that's not very far east. That's very, very west. Uh, I am a west coast girl, really. Um, <laughs> and I know very little, it turns out, I know very little about Canada uh, because the Canada that I know is quite a small portion. So I learned over the course of the year that a lot of the things that I thought were Canadian are also specifically just Western Canada as well. Not even Western Canada, just Lower Mainland and uh, British Columbia, <laughs> basically just my province, so just my little corner of Canada. And it's that kind of realization that, wow, the things that I know, my world um, is very small. Even though I've tried quite hard uh, to expand it and to learn more about the other worlds, um, I know very little. <laughs> So it was a really good experience to turn my focus back local, reflect and think about what it means to be Canadian and what it means to be from the city and how a city really shapes your identity, both the landscape, the culture, um, the 99% invisible design. <laughs> Those of you who listen to Roman Mars will know that reference. Um, yeah, that kind of world, uh, <laughs> it's quite, quite interesting to become cognizant of something that you took for granted. So that was very interesting. Uh, I think the other part of the reason I learned so much about Vancouver, British Columbia and Canada is that I obviously I was quarantined or, or uh, a lot of my social interactions were reduced for most of the year. And so I did also spend a lot of time just pacing the city and I located myself outside of the suburbs for the first time. I had a lot of time on my hands and I had a lot of freedom to go and visit different places. Uh, and I walked 
a lot in the city to a level that I wouldn't have never have if I was in a much more car dependent suburban lifestyle um, where, you know, there's not that many destinations to even go to. I was living in the heart of Vancouver and I could go to a lot of places. In fact, I did go to a lot of neighborhoods I would have rarely gone to um, and become very familiar with neighborhoods like Yaletown, like Davie Village, like Gastown, Chinatown, um, Strathcona, all these very, very uh, neighborhoods with a very strong characteristic, very strong history, very strong, what, what you know, what urbanists call like the placemaking is very, you know, vibrant in each of these neighborhoods, again, for better or for worse. And so these are very strong identity places. So, you know, walking with, with the city, living in the city and just kind of being observant of my cityscape around me, I have learned a lot about Vancouver. And I am realizing more and more that it's probably most accurate to identify myself as a Vancouverite, someone who, um, and I think the most accurate way I can introduce myself if someone ever asks, of course, I will say I'm Canadian because, you know, like I said, this is the nationality I have. Um, this is where I identify with. But it, the place that really does identify me, the place that has grown me, the place that has given me the worldview that I have is really the city of Vancouver. Also, there's other places in BC uh, that I am realizing more and more I know very little about. Um, interior and northern BC especially. Anywhere basically outside of the urban BC. I know very little about I'm Vancouver Island. Uh, this this time this year, I got to go there. I think two different times. Once for Nanaimo, when I went to Newcastle Provincial Park. And the other time when I was on Juan de Fuca. So I stayed over in Victoria. If you remember those audio diaries. Um, and each time I realized, oh, Vancouver Island is also its own thing too. Oh, I guess I don't really understand Victoria and that side of BC either. So again, I think the most accurate way to describe myself is Vancouver. I am from Vancouver. So if anybody ever asks, you know, how would you identify yourself? I would say I am from Vancouver, Canada. And that's, that is the place that has made me who I am. Because saying that I'm from Canada is probably too broad, too big of a too broad of a cultural definition um, and it encompasses too many things so it would probably be a misnomer to just say that that is me because there are too many things that are Canadian that is not me um, because Canada includes too much. <laughs> so um, yeah, the first thing that I really learned in 2020 is about my own country, my own city and my own province. Second thing that I learned, uh, obviously the really, really big thing that I learned is how to start a business and how to not how not to start a business um i really tried uh completely different processes um, and i took on very new tasks i had never done before whether it be financial modeling um you know just kind of creating processes hiring people um thinking about how to build a team these are things i've thought about for a very long time but it was my first time ever doing them. And so this was all completely new. Um, and I learned a lot about those actual tasks. Instead of just talking about things, I actually had to do them. You know, set up naming conventions, set up templates, 
uh, set up rules and set up office hours and set up, talk about think about compensation structure, um, timelining, real project management where there was completely no structure and I had to create the project structure from scratch. Um, <laughs> reading through complex legal documents, um, incorporation, negotiating with banks, um, getting on the phones and just talking to people um, who some I often felt uh, completely, you know, unqualified to talk with, uh, in some ways bullshitting, <laughs> um, getting alone, putting money in, putting money where your mouth is, all of those things, uh, the actual tasks of what does that involve from how do you talk to a bank? How do you, you know, what are like the little bits and pieces I need to be aware of how to read a legal document or to craft a legal document, um, how to have really tough conversations with your team members. Um, I learned a lot about that, um, how to be a leader, how not to be a leader, uh, weird, you know, team dynamics. Again, like I, I know a bit about that from being part of a team, but never from the person who's supposed to create that dynamic as the leader and starting that business. And yeah, I've, I've, again, I've read and watched so many other people start their own businesses, but it was a whole nother thing for me to do it myself. And so to do the actual tasks really surprised me and I did learn a lot. Um, so there's that whole bit about the tasks and the practical experience of starting a business. Uh, the other part is also the emotional burden that comes with it. So I am someone who definitely overthinks a lot. If you're curious, my MBTI slash 16 personalities type is uh, ENFJ. <laughs> That's one of the characteristics is that I do you know, overthink things quite a lot. I overplan things a lot too. Um, and so there's a lot of emotional burden. Uh, I realized the exact extent of how comfortable I am with risk and what kinds of risk I am comfortable with and what kinds of risks I am not. Uh, what does that mean? Like personal risk versus risk that we take on together as a group, financial versus safety versus all these types of risks. Um, so this emotional side of starting a business. And I guess this, the risk part goes into kind of its own category. So maybe it's number three. Um, with COVID, people really started to um, take personal risk very seriously and health risks. And you could really tell different people's risk tolerances. So that was very interesting, both in terms of obviously personal health, and that depended on your life experiences, who you were living with, um, what your occupation was, what you, what kinds of, um, uh, what kinds of environments and people you are associating with it and exposed to. Uh, but different people were really, really risk averse, risk tolerant, or even risk seeking. There were people who thought this is brilliant. There's all this off season. I'm going to go out and do whatever the hell I want. Uh, because now there's fewer people out on the streets. There were people who were just hesitant, who hated going to the grocery store and they had like three layers of gloves and, and just treated every walking human being as if they were just kind of like giant, giant droplets of COVID. <laughs> um, it, it, was, it was very interesting and different people were willing to go out on a walk with me. Different people, some people were not. Some people were happy to invite me over for sleepovers. Um, all these kinds of different layers, again, different layers of rest people, a lot of judgment <laughs> for, you know, acting this way or not acting this way. Um, 
yeah, I think the personal risk tolerances were really exposed. And so I guess the third main thing I learned about is just the diversity of people's reactions. I really learned that there's a lot of very different people in the world. And I don't think it's a matter, I, I used to think, you know, if I meet somebody who's someone who's very different from me in how they view the world, it was very easy for me to think I'm weird or that person's weird, right? It became personal as to, you know, either one of us <laughs> are the strange ones, are the ones who are incorrect. But it, it, it made me understand, I think this, to see all of these diversity of, well, one facet of kind of human worldview, which in this case is risk tolerance, to see the diversity of interpretations and comfort levels and reactions on one facet of the human worldview exposed to me how just inherently diverse the world, uh, how, we, how diverse we are. I mean, we talk about diversity in terms of, you know, races, ethnic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, genders, whatever, all about that. Um, but this year for me really exposed to me the diversity of worldviews. And I just thought this is obviously how people see the world. But that's not true. It's just that I naturally gravitated. Um, for example, I'm someone who is adventurous and I would say on the spectrum between risk uh, averse and risk seeking, I'm closer to risk seeking. Um, though I'm not, there, there are people who are much more thrill chasing than I am. Um, so I just naturally tended to gravitate towards people who are like-minded. And then I've surrounded myself with people who think, you know, uh, calculator risks are things you can take. Um, and as long as you're, you know, follow whatever reasonable safety rules, um, you have your right equipment, you, I can go into dangerous places as long as I am not being quote unquote reckless, whatever the, your definition of reckless is, I think risk is something you can take, you should take more to enjoy your life to the fullest. So that's, for example, my worldview. And I inadvertently, subconsciously, or maybe consciously to a certain extent, I surrounded myself with people who also believe that. I watched a lot of content creators who also believe that. And so it naturally led to um, a bias in myself to see, think that other people are mostly like this too. And there are quote unquote, some weird ones. <laughs> um, and there's this other group. When in fact, actually the truth is, I might be in the minority, uh, depending on who you're speaking to. There's just inherently, again, a very diverse set of worldviews, which didn't correspond very well to their ethnic, religious, whatever, all these different groups. You know, I would meet people from all different religions who had, again, a whole different level of risk tolerances, though I'm sure there's cultural, there were many cultural influences that affected one of one's, um, you know, personal interpretation or another. But still, I could meet people from all different genders, all different backgrounds, all different life experiences, ending up for one reason or another that I can't, you know, dissect the complex influences of all their different, you know, cultural influences, all their life experiences. I don't know what, what is the combination of all these different things that ended up resulting in the final, you know, result of, okay, my risk tolerance is between zero to hundred is 32. I don't know what were the complex set of things that resulted in 32, but people, there were, there was basically a range of everybody from five to 95, right? And there were people who looked and sounded different, who would be sitting on 10 
versus 1951. And it was, again, just I, I am really realizing that that element of diversity being something that enriches and also really makes life challenging at the same time. Um, and I think I'm, I'm beginning to understand exactly why people don't get me and I don't get people, uh, some people. And it just makes sense to me. <laughs> and I realized that, of course, uh, you know, um, I, I had this false and naive thinking of like, all these people living, you know, nine to five, um, they, people who are racist, people who are all these things, uh, people who are super conservative, uh, all those things, you know, they just need to be enlightened, right? <laughs> they just need to see the world and they will be enlightened and then they will see things my way. But actually it's not necessarily like that. Um, you know, people are complex creatures. Uh, it's not some kind of, you know, linear process where you start from a place of being quote-unquote less enlightened and then you learn more things and then you eventually become enlightened that's not how life works <laughs> it's a combination of life experiences um, the environment around you and the uh, genetics that you also have as well that result in these uh, life perspectives and values and I also realize that it's gonna be nearly impossible to change the worldview of many people um, and I was reminded once again that my worldview is probably that of a minority. Um, you know, that's why, <laughs> you know, people like me who, and who are very, for example, the minimalist lifestyle, the nomadic lifestyle, the entrepreneurial lifestyle, the social impact focused careers, all of these end up being quote unquote alternative lifestyles. I think it is because my worldview is in many ways quite um, a minority. I learned about that the diversity of humans. <laughs> um, fourth thing that I learned a lot about is about failure, uh, which may be a dismal topic. <laughs> um, and, and, I, and I said the intention of this podcast episode was not to talk about dismal topics, but nonetheless, <laughs> um, I learned a lot about failure because obviously, you know, decided to fall loco. Um, and I also learned a lot about grit and holding on and I've in, really been reading, a, uh, reading and listening to the audiobook uh, by Angela Lee Duckworth Grit, who is teaching me that grit is not about the just sticking true, you know, holding on to some kind of pursuit forever. It is, it is much more nuanced than that. It's not about, you know, playing the cello every single day for 30 years. It's, it's more nuanced than that to say that you have a, some kind of high level pursuit that never changes, that gives your life meaning. And then there are, you know, medium term and lower, or, or I, should, I shouldn't think of it as terms, um, uh, medium level and kind of the middle level and the lower level goals, which are means to an end. And that end is your high level pursuit. And so that's when I realized a fail, you know, that adage that I kept hearing people say is that startups don't fail, entrepreneurs give up. I thought that that meant that I should never give up on OCO. I should just keep going. You know, I needed to pull through. I still think that adage is true. That adage I heard in the startup world again and again, I still think that's true. But again, in a more nuanced way to think that you can pivot a million and one times 
again, if you have your higher level pursuit. As long as you don't give up on that pursuit itself, that adage holds true. Uh, and so I've learned that failure is very rarely failure as much as it is a, sometimes a setback in a longer journey in a marathon. I mean, you know, if you trip in a 100 meter race, that may be a failure. But if you trip in a marathon, it's a glitch. <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, you don't even notice that it happened. Um, so it, but if you do trip and then you don't get up, then yes, that marathon will be a failure. So I guess that's where I've, I, I've, I've come to see failure. Um, failure as a, not a final outcome, but much more of a dynamic state. Uh, yeah, I've learned how to fail better if that is the right way. Um, learn to see life as a pretty long uh, set of experiment where you're constantly trying new things and then you find out the things that don't work and the things that do stick and that the higher level pursuit is something I don't want to ever give up on. And so that's me. I guess, you know, I am... Um, fifth thing is that I'm really grateful for the life I have managed to build before 2020, which has very much held me through this year. If I hadn't lived the, built the life that I had prior to this year, this year would have been so much worse. If I hadn't already developed a completely new shopping um, and spending philosophy, if I hadn't gotten so much more comfortable with my body and really resolved a lot of my body image issues, uh, that could have plagued me <laughs> um, while, you know, I gained weight, I lost weight while I grew, you know, in and out of shape all throughout 2020 as these external environments kind of forced me and put me in a certain place. Um, it would have been so much more difficult to deal with 2020. And thankfully, those kinds of body image issues about, you know, weight, how I looked, how my skin was acting, blah, 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 blah. Um, I was able to handle this year so much better. And these experiences I had had in earlier in my life and the things that I had reached conclusion on had given me so much more resilience and ba basically a better starting point to deal with whatever the external environment threw at me. I think another example of that is things like morning routines things like better habits that I picked up that now I don't even think about. Um, you know, drinking water in the morning, making my bed in the morning, um, the stretching stuff that I had started in December, the push-ups that I integrated into my stretching. Again, they take very little effort for me, cleaning up after myself pretty much every day um, so that I don't have a messy house. Um, yeah, all these things that now weren't that big of a deal for me was so, so very helpful. I'm trying to think what else um, had I built up for myself prior to this. I had developed pretty good habits um, around working and kind of, you know, not procrastinating and kind of setting up directions for myself, uh, setting up. I learned a lot about how to structure uh, productive time and projects. That was really, really helpful uh, when it came to work. What else did I have? I had obviously in the past maybe two or three years, my health has improved drastically. My strength and stamina has improved drastically from all the hiking and backpacking I had done. And of course, if I hadn't had hiking and backpacking, 
man, 2020 would have felt so boring um, because those were obviously the most exciting things that happened in the year were all of my backpacking trips and hikes. And that was where I got most of my exercise, most of my um, fill of nature, just again, something to break up kind of the monotony of the daily routine and the weekly routine and the monthly routine and the fact that every day looks the same. It was really that hiking and backpacking. And thankfully, you know, I had obviously gotten a lot of confidence around the fact that I can survive and thrive outdoors. I had gotten the practical skills, I had gotten the gear. Um, and I knew how to, for example, look what kind of information to look up, um, which websites to go to, and what kind of things I need to understand before I go on a backpacking trip, like what kind of uh, maps, trail conditions, uh, transportation to and from the park, so on and so forth, itineraries, emergency information. You know, I had all this kind of stuff which made me just so much more equipped to do all these outdoor excursions that I was able to fit in. So that's the other thing about, you know, my previous life prior to 2020 that helped me so much in this year. I think obviously the biggest thing that helped me thrive in 2020 was, um, was all the relationships that I had built prior to it. Because 2020 was a year where it was pretty difficult to make new relationships, even though I did manage to make some, um, I really just kind of benefited so much from deepening and returning to the old relationships. Um, I, you know, developed really strong friendships. Uh, I deepened my bond with my family, again, even though I wasn't able to see them in person. So, or see them a lot fewer um, times in person. So that was the other part of kind of my life before 2020 that helped me in 2020. And it's easy for me to kind of end off this year on a note of feeling like I haven't done enough, um, that I set myself up for failure. It's really easy to get into that kind of negative spiral to, you know, be self-critical of just kind of how I dealt with situations all the time that I wasted. There's a lot of ways that I could be regretting. Truth is, I will be a better person, not in spite of 2020, but because of 2020. I know that I'm an incredibly resilient person, and so every time life throws a bag of shit at me, which seems to be quite often, um, I am pretty resilient and I, can, I have greater confidence that I'm able to make through more difficulties in my life. So no matter the financial or professional situation that I find myself in, which as you know, being unemployed, having no sort of major source of income, not a great place to be. <laughs> um, but it's going to be a, in the grand scheme of things, this was a good year because I am going to be a better person for the next, hopefully, you know, 60, 70 years because of the experiences that I had this year. And I can hopefully be a better Rosalind in 2021. Thank you so much for accompanying me through this year and through this very long episode. I think it's about 30 minutes. Let me see if I can split it up, but... Thank you so much for accompanying me through this crazy whirlwind of a year. Um, and I hope your year was probably just as eventful, but was also a great learning experience. And I hope, I don't hope, I pray that your 2021 is one, is another year filled with learning, 
growth and hopefully a bit of peace. Thank you and talk to you next year.